Welcome to episode 148 with my guest, Matthew Walden. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offered code MENTAL. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. An hour or two of honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. It's also the Twitter name you can follow me at. Please go to the website. Check it out. All kinds of good stuff there. You can uh, join the forum. You can read blogs by myself and other people. You can um, take a survey, see how other people filled out surveys, uh, or you can support the show uh, financially. Um, or you can just sit with your thumb in your ass and uh, watch the watch the pages fall off the calendar. How's that grab you? What do you think of that? Oh. Why am I why am I swinging at you right out of the gate? Because I'm afraid you're judging me. That's why. I want to hurt you before you hurt me. All right, let's uh, let's get to the uh, the nitty gritty. Um, great episode today. Um, I don't want to tell you too much about it. There might be some stuff that's a little triggering uh, to people in there. Um, and uh, we also had some volume issues um, in about the first five minutes. So don't don't sweat it. It uh, it gets ironed out. Um, I think. Oh, you know what I wanted to to mention. Um, the podcast has been nominated for a Stitcher Award. I'm sure you guys are familiar with the podcasting application Stitcher. And um, if you want to vote for it, um, <laughs> I wish I had that link handy. I posted it on my Facebook page. And uh, oh, I'm such a jackass. I'll find it. I'll find it somewhere. All right. I just I just went and grabbed it. Uh, that uh, link to vote for the show, uh, and you have to log in using your Facebook account. So if you don't uh, have a Facebook account, I don't think you can vote. Anyway, it's stitcher.promotw.com. That's stitcher.promotw.com. It's not easy, very easy to remember that one. So um, good luck. <laughs> good luck trying to remember that two hours from now when the uh, when the episode is over. Um, I want to read a uh, couple of struggle in a sentences before before what before <sighs> I so want to restart this but I'm not gonna um this was uh this is from the struggle in a sentence survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Lottie and about her depression uh she says like a fur coat dead but warm that may be the most succinct description of depression i've ever read and she's she's only uh she's a teenager god bless you lottie this uh is same survey filled out by a guy who calls himself montana guy about his depression he writes i can feel the sad look on my face and happy moments only get an acknowledgement about his anger issues he says at times i want to completely demolish the problem in front of me and i'm totally oblivious to the outcome and uh, finally, I just want to uh, give you, a, before we get to the interview, uh, and enjoy our uh, 2014 new uh, theme, opening theme, um, I want to share a, a quote from Viktor Frankl, the uh, author of Man's Search for Meaning. He writes, 
forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. Oh God, I wish I didn't need to take meds. Flat out fucking auditory hallucinations. I would literally wake up running from my bed. I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. I thought the gunman was my father. Afraid of not being able to make a living. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. They committed him to Bellevue. There was this fear that if I feel this pain, I wish someone could see what was going on and just help me, that it will kill me and I will die and I will drown. You can't think your way out of a thinking problem. And I cried the way that a baby cries. Cried like an animal. It makes me so mad at myself that I do that. The burden of perfectionism. And that's when I got to therapy. Let's talk about that. So I was like, fuck it, I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. You are a shining example of what is best about human beings. I'm worried that the uh, Russian militia is coming over the hill. I know that, uh, but uh, Alice, how you feeling? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> I'm here with uh, Matthew Walden. Who? How old are you? 32 32 and um you we met through through twitter and yes. uh you suggested you offered yourself as a guest on the show and you say you said uh you know i have some some stories in my life that i think are worthy of uh of being on the show if you're interested and we emailed back and forth a couple of times and i was like yeah there's there's definitely sounds like there's some some stuff to talk about especially things that we haven't covered that much on oh yeah the, there's a lot to get into and i think um I, I see you sort of caught me with one foot off the merry-go-round um i am currently withdrawing from zoloft um are you getting the brain zaps uh yeah not not brain zaps yet but i think you're gonna get today the perspective of someone with zero perspective i think that'll that, that may be helpful to someone someone like right in the middle of it because I, I don't think enough time has passed for me to have like some wisdom from the top of the mountain i have a, i have wisdom from the trenches to get <laughs> to offer up well that's so, all good because yeah. you know a lot of times people say it, it would be nice to to hear from somebody that doesn't have it all figured out yet well, you got your candidate. <laughs> I'm, I'm here. <laughs> uh, so, where would be a good uh, a good place to uh, to start with your story? Where you Where you from originally? Um, I grew up in Hawaii. Uh, I was in a military family, and then uh, spent a little bit of time in Florida in college, where I met my wife, and we moved to Los Angeles together about ten years. So, I've actually spent most of my life in Los Angeles, compared like time wise, if you added it all up. So. And have you, did you experience the Howley kind of getting your ass beat for being a white kid in Hawaii? Oh, certainly. I was lucky. I was really lucky. I got like sort of adopted by a, a gang of really nice Japanese guys who were super friendly. They called themselves the Cougars and they would watch out for me. They'd be like, today's kill Howley day. Stay home from school. Don't come here. They would tell me which bathrooms were the good ones to go to. But actually that's, that's kind of a good place to start because Hawaii, it was a lovely place, but I had a rough time there. We, uh, I grew up in government housing for people who were in the military. So it's if you know to help people who couldn't afford Hawaii's really high rent. So which island were you on? I was on Oahu. Um, I love Oahu. Were you near Waikiki or North Shore or what? I love North Shore. North Shore is my favorite part of town. No, but just right in the middle, Honolulu. I lived in a volcano crater. That's sort of if I were an evil villain and a comic book <laughs> character, my origin story would be beginning in a volcano crater. It was a dormant <laughs> volcano crater. There's uh, there's some serious gang stuff. 
going on where we lived. Um, Oahu definitely the most dangerous of the islands, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say or no? I, I mean, I agree. I think you're fine if you're going to visit there, but if you're going to live there for long enough, you're going to you're going to get into some shit. And I certainly did. Like I, um, I've been in a couple shootouts in my life, a lot of gun related things, just through sheer accident. And the first was when I was in elementary school. Um, there was a gang trying to shoot our neighbors, but we were in a little apartment, so we were right next to each other. So I heard these gunshots going off against like our back door. Oh, I probably should we give a trigger warning for this episode because there's a lot of i don't Uh, know how far i should go into the violent stuff i mean is that helpful for people to know or you know my my feeling is people can always turn off the the podcast if they if they get too triggered but um yeah a trigger warning is is always always fine i never i feel like i should wear a t-shirt that says trigger warning (laughs) just just being around me (laughs) um but but go ahead okay sure so um you know i was just in fifth grade i think when this started and they were trying to shoot our neighbors and in the middle of the night um you know I heard these gunshots going off, called my parents down to be like, hey, someone's shooting at the house. And they did the typical nice parent thing, like, there's no monster on the bed. You know, there's no <laughs> one shooting us. They flipped on the back porch light and the bullets just like rained through the sliding glass door. And, then, you know, um, the police came. I had to give a statement. And they ended up arresting the guy. They were trying to shoot our neighbors. They got, it was dark. They ended up shooting our house accidentally. So I gave a police statement. And then they ended up catching and arresting the guy who had uh, shot at us. But, I was in elementary school, and I think at that age, you're just kind of like proud a little bit. I was proud. Sure. It was like an action movie. So I was you got bra- a little street cred. Yeah, yeah, I was bragging at school how I helped the police catch a bad guy. And then word had just gotten back to one of these guys' older brother just from elementary school. Like, oh, this kid Matt's bragging that he got one of you arrested. So they had daggers out for me. Woke up one morning on our front sidewalk in our front of our house. They'd spray-painted graffiti like, murder Matt, kill Matt, Matt's going to die. And then these gang guys would chase me around. I'd have a paper route, and they'd chase me on my paper route, try and set my hair on fire. Random times in the middle of the afternoon, you'd see them climb up to the second story of our back porch, have a knife on our back porch. In the middle of the night, these guys would climb up to my bedroom window. I'd have to call my dad and get them to yell them away. So they really had it out for me. Um, they ended up getting arrested wow. for dri- stealing a car and driving into a convenience store. But definitely for a year there, it definitely I felt under siege, certainly. So um, that was the volcano crater, and that was the first of many incidents like that in my life. Like, it kind of kicked things off. So. Con- congratulations on getting PTSD before pubes. I know. No, <laughs> no kidding. See, I didn't realize I had it until probably, mm, I didn't go in to get treatment until like two years ago, because the situation just kept mounting. People have told me I have kind of like a black cloud that follows me. I like to think of it like I have two clouds. I have like a really great luck cloud, and I also have a bad luck cloud i have lots of intense luck because my life has been amazing too i've had a great life that i think like i'd be jealous of myself if i weren't me just from how many things have gone well i have a beautiful really sweet wife i got lucky job wise moving out to la and um working in the industry and meeting tons of people you're a writer and a producer Mm -hmm. and i do mostly trashy reality tv that keeps i shouldn't say that for uh people who work in it because i'm great you should hire me but you know stuff that you fold laundry while you (laughs) while you watch and there is certainly uh fortune in anybody that can make their living uh in a creative field You, you know no matter what what quality it may be in town to not have a day job of something outside the industry if you moved here to be in the industry is is pretty amazing yeah it's great and it's really great for being crazy and i I apologize some people really um 
that word feels abrasive. We to use that. the word. I, crazy I here. claim crazy because I like it. It makes me feel better that I have a reason for being the way I am, and it makes me feel like I just have to joke and laugh about it because otherwise it can't be like all gloomy. I want so. you to talk the way you, you talk <laughs> on this, and and feel free to to be yourself. That's I think the most important thing. I think it's if people like the show, I think that's one of the reasons why they like it. It's unvarnished, and sometimes it's offensive. Sometimes it's awkward. Um, but you haven't, I don't think you've said anything of offensive. All right, that's good. I'll keep keep trying. Let's get into it. (laughs) Um, so people are, are shooting at you by the time you're in fifth or sixth grade. Well, you know, the nice thing about being shot in Hawaii is you fall into a bed of gorgeous flowers. It's true. It's true. You can hide it among a bed of gorgeous flowers. You get a sprinkle of little misty rain. Yeah. And there's like, you know, there's other things in the neighborhood. I mean, just, uh, it's, it's military housing, which I think itself brings its own problems just because that's like a hotbed of all kinds of, you know, the adults themselves, I don't think have it all together if they've been out. Like this is around the time of the Gulf War, the first, uh, first Gulf War. So a lot of people are coming back with mental issues. It's an alcoholic guy in our neighborhood who used to point a shotgun at me all the time on his front porch. He'd tell me I was an awful kid. And if I told anybody, he'd shoot me and my parents. Um, and then, you know, that kind of stuff just sort of, it sticks in your memory. And I don't, it's almost like I don't realize how big of a deal it is until I get older. Like how much that shapes me. A lot of it just kind of recedes into the background. I'm like, oh, I won't think about that. Um, did you, would you just kind of numb out and brush it off? Would you talk to anybody about it? I'm assuming you didn't talk to anybody about it. Or, or I, did you tell your parents? I, you know, it was hard to talk to my parents about it. My parents themselves struggled with mental health issues and my parents, God bless them if they listen to this, this will, this will be a hard one for them to listen to because my story of our family is, is very different than their story of our family. They're very lively and loving people and they have like a lot of energy and creativity. They love to throw parties and there's that aspect of our family which i think is at the forefront for them and and i don't blame them for wanting to focus on that you know they have a really really bright side but um a lot of it growing up with me with them was dark and then um i tried to get help i thought that um so many bad things had happened to me by D- really... dark in the things that you had experienced outside your family or dark both all, okay. both yeah a little bit of both i mean um and I'll go ahead. We'll just jump right into all this good stuff. At the age of five, I was raped by two other boys, um, like a 14-year-old and someone who was my same age. I don't, I don't think my family knows this. I tried to talk to them about it, um, and I, I was pretty certain I was going schizophrenic. Um, because at that age, I just, you just had no tools to, to process any of this. I think I was five years old when that happened. Oh, my um, God. And then my parents were really religious, so I think they were very... Um, they're very concerned with homosexuals, which I'm not. But, you know, when I had was when I was raped by two guys as a kid, you don't understand any of that. You know, you don't understand the th- issue of consent think, or anything like yeah, that. Do you think? Well, let me ask you, did you think that you had um, you shared some of the blame in it? Did did it affect you? Well, honestly, I How? mean, to be total, I, I had no idea I'd been raped until maybe two years ago. And it's so obvious now to me, but like I was talking to a psychologist and telling them what happened and they were like, oh, so you were raped. And then that just kind of sunk in. I was like, would we call it rape? And then it was so clearly if it was anybody but me, it's that's what the issue is. It just hadn't occurred to me. It literally was like, oh, that's the memory I'd prefer not to think about, but certainly couldn't be rape. I I think just because as a guy, it's I mean, obviously, it's tough for women. I think the challenges are different for each gender. I think for guys, the challenge definitely is the silence and that kind of increases the shame because there just aren't like a lot i don't flip through podcasts and hear guys casually just saying like oh yeah i was raped when i was a kid or something like mm-hmm. that it's just not talked about and women i think are 
a little more courageous about it. I think they have more obstacles than we do to talk about it, and they still find the courage to do it. And I'm sure that sort of atmosphere and culture, you might call it like, you know, rape support culture, <laughs> in addition to the rape culture that exists, women have actually a really good support for people who have been through rape. And that just doesn't quite as exist on the same level for guys. So I think a lot of us uh, find it harder to talk about just because who knows what's going to happen or people going to run away screaming or it's so difficult to even begin to like crack open that whole thing of trouble. And then once, once I cracked it open and kind of like started coming to terms with it, I realized that it was way healthier and I felt tougher. I think that, I think the thing was like, I would, I felt like I would lose some of that masculinity or people would see me as less tough or I would see myself as less tough. But that hasn't been the case. I think like a lot of the tools actually help you feel like, no, it's okay. You're you can still be a guy's guy, even though weird shit happened to you when you were a kid. Did you blame yourself for any of it, or had you just minimized it? It was a lot of minimization. Um, for me, I can the story I convinced myself was that I was schizophrenic, and I had all these dark memories that weren't true. I did research in the library because I, I was like, I was miserable, you know, crying all the time. Secretly, I'd go to sleep at night, just punching myself in the... Oh, lost my phone there. Just punching myself in the face because I, I thought that would sort of even even out i don't even know if that makes sense even out the wrong that had happened um and i told my parents i'd brought you know these books from the library i was like clearly i'm schizophrenic i need to talk to a counselor um things aren't going well for me and i'm i'm losing my mind i'm crazy but there are so you know and i couldn't bring up exactly what happened in details because you know they were so religious and so anti-homosexual activity that i i thought that you know they would kick me out of the house as soon as they found it. Like, if there was a, a gay pride march on TV, my dad would cry about how disgusting the world had become. So it wasn't really, like, a good oh atmosphere to talk God. about what had happened. So I told them, you know, here I am, I'm schizophrenic, Talk me to a, take me to a counselor or a psychiatrist. And I figured at that point I could get into it and kind of figure out exactly what had happened. But they told me that um, my main problem was not that I was insane, but that I had you know, fallen away from Jesus and that Satan had gotten a hold of me and that I was possessed by demons and that there were demons in our house trying to, trying to get with me. And then if, um, if I just paid attention to Jesus more or read the Bible more, then I wouldn't be having these problems I'd be having. And I believe them, but I believe them so much that I convinced myself that I was possessed by demons pretty much the whole time I grew up from that point onward. I so. am so, and this, uh, I don't mean you personally, I'm so fucking tired of hearing story after story of quote-unquote religious people just ignoring their fucking kids and yeah it's it, it's tough it, it wasn't pleasant and it's still um you know my i have a fractured parent relationship with my parents right now you know I, I don't talk to them as often as either one of us would like but there's so much back there you know that having a conversation with them just reverts me back to the first 18 years where i was convinced I was possessed by a demon so and I didn't believe it was because the demons were necessarily that bad I believed it's because I was a good vehicle that I was so evil that of course demons or Satan would want to join up with me because I was obviously so nasty and awful so that's kind of how I processed things growing up and everything kind of fed into that filter whether it was getting shot at or trying to be killed at school like you were a magnet yeah exactly um certainly and that's that's kind of just how I dealt with it by turning all that hate inward and convincing myself that I was worthy of demons or worthy of Satan. So there's a lot of was there any Was there any 
this may sound completely fucked up, but oh, was, there, I love that. <laughs> was there any kind of pride in that? Like you were special, even though it was bad stuff, or was it just pure, like, I'm just meant to be shit on? There wasn't then. There is now. There, there is now. I do take a little bit of pride that I've been through so much crazy shit because really, I mean, like, we're not going to get through it all this podcast. We're just going to get through whatever comes up. But like, I do kind of take a pride that like, not now. I don't think I'm possessed by demons or evil. Like I've, I'm an atheist now because that's the only sane way I can make sense of the world. Like I can't do religion because it's 18 years of, of damage and, uh, making myself feel awful that I just kind of had to leave it behind. You know, I made that choice. I found logic to back it up. But I made that choice just out of like my own self-preservation. And, so. and I'd like to qualify too. In my opinion, it's your parents' perversion of and and other people's perversion of what religion was meant to be. You know, I think I'm not a religious person, but I think the teachings of Jesus Christ are beautiful. Oh, sure. Yeah, he seems so, like a great guy. <laughs> a great guy uh, surrounded by a lot of stupid people or, uh, I don't know, just it, it, the way it's been perverted is it's so hard to believe that people could be that fucking stupid uh, to pervert it the way they've they've perverted it and to use it as an excuse to justify their own fear of whatever it's interesting like i've read the bible several times over just because i had such a religious family that i would read it every year from front to end so i i have a pretty intimate knowledge of the bible a lot more than people who actually believe it and it's really fascinating to sit there and um, I know academic people don't like the words good and evil, but it's interesting, whatever you want to call these forces, it's interesting to see the Bible, good and evil, just wrestling with itself in the text because there are so many interesting, humane, compassionate things that can float to the surface, but there's a whole lot of fucked up evil in that book too. And Especially you can see the Old battle. Testament. Yeah, the Old can... Testament is just a creepy uncle in a basement put into words. <laughs> That's That needs to go in the back of every every Bible. <laughs> just that quote from Paul. That, that can be your uh, book flap uh, quote. <laughs> Uh, so we're in sixth grade now. We've been shot at. We've been, uh, raped and we've had our experience kind of, uh, negated by our, our parents. And are, have you been diagnosed uh, as schizophrenic or was that just your kind of feel as a oh, kid? Oh no, no. I mean, that was just my feel as a kid. Cause I wanted to pretend all these memories weren't real. And that was my way to pretend the memories weren't. And I still do that. I still find ways to revert to saying none of it happened. I'm just, but no, no psychologist has given me that break. Nobody's given me the schizophrenic. They're like, you know, these details are all too believable. It makes sense. Everything that's happened, like the people who make up these kinds of things, most people don't make up these horrible things because no one wants to have these terrible, humiliating memories. But the people who do don't have that level of detail that I do. And that was really disappointing for me because I'm always looking for that escape. Just like, just let me be crazy and let the world not be that dark. Because some of the things that have happened um, make the world seem like a darker place. And I'd... I'd rather not have it be as dark as it is. You know, one of the one of the things that I'm endlessly fascinated by is the manner in which um people sexually abuse, how they how they um groom, how they take control, how how they control their uh, their victims, you know, what it is that they that they say if you're comfortable talking about it what 
what did the other kids say? Oh, okay. Well, this is, I mean, it's really, this, this I have a hard time telling people, not because it's hard for me to say, but just because I feel it's so dark that it drags the world down. Like, I don't, I almost feel bad, like, passing off this darkness to someone else. But these kids who raped me were clearly, clearly, clearly sexually abused themselves. So I don't, I have a lot of anger over what happened. I think that goes without happened. saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have a lot of anger over what happened, but oddly, not a lot of anger at them. I, I wish it didn't happen. Anger but, at the cycle of abuse, maybe. Sure. Maybe. I mean, because while it was happening, both of them used language about their parents. They call it's really kind of gross and sad, but they called it the naked fat lady game. That's how they presented it. They're like, we're going to play the naked fat lady game. And they had a overweight mother. One, I think one of them was a kid of the mother and one was just like somebody in the neighborhood. Um but it was clearly like they had a large mother in the house who took care of them. And clearly whatever they had learned from her was something related to this. And it also really fucked up my own relationship with my parents because as a five-year-old, you know, there's just there's no way to handle that level of violence. Like it was not, um, it was not a pleasant um, statutory rape. It was like a violent, um, almost didn't survive rape. So the, and I couldn't process it. So I just thought like when they were telling me about this, this is a game that mothers play. And this is something that my own mother has done in the past and will probably do in the future. Um, That's what they said to you? That uh, They just used that phrase, but my mind kind of filled in the blanks. So this oh, is, oh this you is thought, a, this is, so all mothers do this, my mom's going to do this to me. And she may have already done this also. So, I, I mean, it was just confusing. It was so violent and confusing. That's what you but, thought? Yeah. Um, okay. But that isn't the case. You know, I don't think I'll ever be able to get to the bottom of that, honestly. And I it... it that's really painful for me because um, I don't want to accuse anybody of something that hasn't happened. But because the things were so dark and they happened at such an early age, and I also have, this is another story which may, I don't even know if there's a proper segue to this, but I've investigated cults as part of a writing project I'm working on. Like I find cults fascinating. I kind of grew up almost in a cult atmosphere. It was a cult of four people, my mom, my dad, me, and my brother. But the way it operated is the way a lot of religious cults operate. So actually, just as a personal project, I've been, I've been attending cults as a prospective member and taking notes and recording the sessions, and I've done this for the past decade. And I ended up getting uh, brainwashed kind of on high doses of psychedelic and uh, psychiatric medication made by one of these cults. And then that shook up my memories even more. So when you have like fundamental dark things that happen, like at the age of five and my parents themselves, I, I, I really want to balance it because it's hard. It's a balancing act. I don't want to give them a pass on all the horrible things that have happened, but I also don't want to ignore how hard they've tried when they weren't fucking up. Cause when they weren't fucking up, they, you know, they're very great present givers. Like they, they pay a lot of attention to things in my life that are important to me. And that's a way that they know how to express love still, is to give very lavish gifts. And I, I wish our situation were different. But I, in, in addition to, like, I don't want it to be a complete smear, I do want to acknowledge that. I think that's one of, the things that's, good things. one of the things that's so difficult about confronting our past is because most of the people um, that have abused um, have great qualities. Um, it's... We don't, we wouldn't stick around otherwise. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, um, and that's what makes it so so fucking difficult to either cut contact with them or to give weight to what happened because we feel like that's throwing them under the bus. That that has to define who they are. And I think one of the things that's really important to recover is to begin to um, remember that you can hold both 
of those truths at the same time. They're exactly. not, they're not they mutually ca- exclusive. And I, I find myself oscillating all the time. It's like, they're perfect. I'm awful. And yes. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't treat them so poorly and I should hang out with them every day and I should call them on the phone. And anytime they say something mean, they're just saying it because they're such loving parents and I'm picking at it and I'm being too harsh. Yes. And the other time is like, I hate everything. I can't handle it. I don't want to ever talk to them again. So, and I go back and forth between yes. those extremes. But and it's there's, such a there mind needs to be a middle ground. It's it exhausting. <laughs> it it's really exhausting. Is. I'll exhaust myself. But but the thing is that like, I, and this part I will take responsibility for is that I went to these cults and cults. How old, how old were you? What was the reason for going there? Where where was this cult? Uh, well, this I, was outside of your family. Yeah, right? this is outside of my family. How, Basically, as, a, as when I was probably twenty two is when I began. Sort of, I sort of have an obsession with them. I read all the cult literatures, all the cult Bibles, and I'll attend them in person. So there's a lot of different ones I've gone to. But that was, whole, this was his research not to personally better yourself. It, it was research for like I'm a I'm a writer, and it's sort of like my lifelong grand project. Like I've written books and stories, um, but this is like it sounds silly to say but if i can pull it off this will be the master work that i'm most proud of just because i've risked my life for it and risked my sanity and uh lost some of my sanity because of it but um i went to this particular recent cult and this was the end of the research just because i was cocky and i thought i could handle it and i just lost my mind from it so there's a lot of dark memories that came up on these psychedelic drugs most of which were true but some which I have a hard time interpreting and I don't think I'll ever get to the bottom of. And that's sort of, that's its own brand of torture because I kind of already have these really hard memories that I know without a doubt are true. And I have some with my family that I just can't tell. You know, it was a, it's like a snow globe that just got shake, shaken up and I, I don't know if I'll ever it's be so able to common. figure it out. It's so yeah. common, you know, when I read the surveys um, or talk to people who uh, were think they were sexually abused it's like their last memory is somebody taking them into a bedroom and, you know, a, an adult or somebody who was much older than them asking them to, you know, or telling them to take their clothes off or something. And then they don't remember anything after that. Then they remember an hour later. See, for me, I do have I do have all the details, but also I don't know if that's a retreat. I don't know if it's just like I'd rather, you know, here's my excuse. Finally. I went to this cult and now, and there's a stereotypical LA story, I think. A kid leaves a religious family, goes to Los Angeles, goes to a cult, takes a bunch of drugs, and then all of a sudden wants to sever relationships with their family. I've heard that story before. And then I didn't think it would happen to me, but that's where I find myself currently. And I'm not involved in the cult anymore, and they're not trying to give me bad memories, and they're not trying to get me to separate myself from my family. It's just the result of what's happened. So... If you'd been if you'd been born uh, three decades uh, earlier, you might have been a part of the Manson family. Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> See, like I'm, I I think I'm pretty harmless in terms of physical harm. Like I I, I my mistakes are mistakes of um, I don't know how I would describe them. Like I try to be kind to everyone, and I try not to be selfish, and I try not to hurt anyone. Like physically, I yeah. don't know if I've ever hurt anyone besides punching my little brother on the arm, you know. But um, I was being facetious, sure. by the way. <laughs> you're, like, you're such a sweet guy. It's uh, well, I think and, that's my mistake. Well, that's where my biggest mistakes come from. I'm trying to be sweet to everyone and not making choices. Like being sweet to people who probably don't deserve it and ignoring people who do deserve that kindness. And I think that's, 
if I'm being clearest and not in like some kind of cycle of self-blame, that's my biggest character flaw. I sometimes wonder if that's a fear of intimacy because to be kind to people that we don't really know that well, we know that nothing is ever really going to be required of us that is has a tremendous amount of responsibility to it. And we get that rush of feeling good that we did something nice and looking good. But when it's somebody that's close to us, that's bringing us closer to them. And we have to do that mixed in with the bag of flaws that they have, which I think scares us and makes us want to run. Oh, certainly. For me, that's that's the case. I related very much to, to, to what you just shared. And I don't know. That That's kind of the personal insight that I have about why we sometimes treat the people closest to us um, the worst. Yeah, and I'm definitely going through that recently within the past month. I mean, um, we talked, I think before we started, we talked a little bit about how Twitter and how like we can get really good friendships and support on there. And in the past month, I've been on um, cycling through a bunch of different medications while doctors are trying to figure out a way of making my life a little bit more livable for me because I have, you know, I have PTSD and I have intense nightmares and flashbacks. And, you know, if a loud thing gets dropped in the room, I'm certain someone's shooting at me just because it's happened a couple times before. So there's a chance it could happen again. Um, so I've very recently within the past year have been getting on medications and trying, and it hasn't really been successful. Like I got on Zoloft recently and some antipsychotic medications, which I don't know if that, does that make you psychotic if you, they put if you, you take on, antipsychotics? Uh, <laughs> they put you on uh, Lamictal? Um, I got on Zoloft and... Well, I tried a bunch of different things, but the most recent thing was Zoloft and Abilify combined, mm-hmm. and Abilify is an antipsychotic. But I had a bad reaction to this. And it, I think in a full dose, it's used as an antipsychotic, but there are uh, Abilify and Lamictal used uh, to augment things like uh, Zoloft can be used to enhance the antidepressive qualities, I'm told. Yeah, um, I got on that and that just sent me into like a full-on like manic state. Um, That's what I experienced in the, too, in the first month of, uh, but I kind of wrote it out and it then it turned off like a light switch, but it was fucking scary my first month on uh, Oh wow, tell me, tell me about it. How did it manifest? I so? looked at porn like eight hours a day for uh, a month oh that's interesting okay because like i've discovered i mean well i can go ahead and say this is very recent and uh, and my my poor wife she's put up with so much recently but within the last month at first it made me suicidal which i'm not suicidal at all you know i've been through a lot and i can kind of hang in there through some really heavy shit but all of a sudden i get on zoloft and like a week later i'm like counting out my overdose amount of pills and trying to drown myself in the bathtub so i was like this is not i wrote i got a permanent marker and just wrote no on my hand in big capital letters because i knew it wasn't me i knew it wasn't right and in the middle of all this i found someone like a really lovely person on twitter who was there to like help me out and like talk me through stuff and accept the bad parts of me in 140 characters at a bird well we started emailing (laughs) and facebooking and all that um and how awful would that have been if it was completely (laughs) public in 140 characters some of it was some of it was completely public because i just lost my mind and like a doctor called it like a ssri induced hypomanic state and i was i mean like i think sometimes like um it can give someone the energy 
to kill themselves that's if they I've didn't heard. have it before. Um, and I don't, I don't want to at all. But I, that's that's also where I found myself in the last month. And I'm thank God I'm getting off it and I'm better now. And I just did not feel like myself. But I also got involved like in an amorous relationship with someone I hardly knew who was taking care of me during this rough time, but it was completely ignoring my wife who's been there for like 13 years for me. And then, you know, my wife... Emotionally amorous or physically amorous? Emotionally amorous, inappropriate photos back and forth, amorous, a lot of like, I love you, I'm in love with you, back and forth stuff. And I can't say those feelings weren't real in the moment, but I think the choices that led me to those feelings were inappropriate. Because I'm in a monogamous relationship with someone who I love with all my heart. Like, she's amazing. And she she's sounds put so up with forgiving me. because clearly you've shared this with her. Yes, yes, I have. I mean, she knows about it and we've talked about it. And um, in my mind, it played out, in my hypomanic mind, it played out that, oh, this new person who I've fallen in love with over the course of a few few weeks we're all gonna get. We're all gonna get along. We'll go out to dinner together my, with my wife, and my wife will know that we love each other, and I still love my wife, and everybody's just gonna be happy with the whole deal. But that's, and you'll and you'll be having sex with both of them. No, well, you know, it didn't really get that far. I see. It didn't really get that far, but I'm sure the teenager part of me was like, yeah, and I'll, I'll arrange that too in, in the back of my mind. Um, and it, that's so hurtful to someone who's been, she, my wife has like helped me through getting brainwashed by a cult. She's, you know, she's helped me with my hard relationship with my parents. She's helped me survive shootout. Like she's just been in the shit with me. And then like, I made a promise to her when we got married that this was a monogamous relationship that I wouldn't go chase down women on Twitter. But I found myself in, in the moment when it was happening, I was like, I just have to be honest. And what I'm feeling now is, is this love and I have to, I have to do it even if it makes a mess. And I just, what that willingness to cause so much hurt on both sides to my wife and to this lovely person who was looking out for me on the internet when I, I couldn't back up any of my claims. You know what I mean? I just, I couldn't do it, but I didn't have the responsibility of mind to not follow that path. So that kind of blew up in everybody's faces recently. And I got a lot of remorse over it, but I'm getting off the medications and I'm hoping I won't. Loving this person was not a mistake, but making the choices to express it as much as I did was a mistake because it wasn't fair to either people. I hurt my wife deeply and I'm sure I hurt this other person. What a great way to articulate uh, that. Uh, it's so profound, you know, to be able to say the love itself wasn't the bad thing, but the manner in which I did it was inappropriate. And I think for a lot of people that struggle with mental illness and especially sexual trauma, the manner in which we express that loving, joyous part of ourselves um, kind of goes through that filter of our trauma and comes out not necessarily good on the other side. Oh, you know that sound? It, it means it's time to give our sponsor a little bit of love. Our, uh, or one of our sponsors uh, for this show is uh, Squarespace.com. That's right. We have two sponsors uh, for this episode, and uh, I'm really proud of that. I'm, I'm really excited, and uh, I, I really like Squarespace. You know, it's, it's, it's nice to have a product that, that you believe in that uh, advertise on the show. It's... Uh, uh, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that uh, makes it super easy to create uh, your own website uh, or online portfolio. It looks super professional. They got templates you can work with. It's drag and drop. They got a 24-7 uh, support staff that uh, is very knowledgeable. Um, it's won design awards. 
Um, they're starting to do e-commerce now. It's it's really it's just a great site. They they take all of all of the problems out of creating uh, a, a website. So I highly recommend it. And uh, if you go to squarespace.com and use the offer code mental, uh, you get a free trial and 10% off. You don't need to use a credit card or, or anything to, to get that going. So go go check it out. And uh, I just want to thank Squarespace for their continued support of this show and their great product. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. And now it's time to give a little bit of love to our uh, our other sponsor, Daily Burn. Uh, it's a really cool website that has online workout videos um, with a huge variety of programs from uh, Tabata to interval training uh, to yoga. And uh, it's super convenient. Um, you can decide whether or not you want to work uh, with or without equipment. I say you decide whether or not you want to work out with or without clothes. You know, maybe you do a half hour uh, in some nice lycra. And then you finish it up uh, maybe in a thong, maybe nude. Uh, but do towel down after your after yourself, no matter what you're... I'm already bailing on this bit. Uh, but their programs range from uh, 15 minutes to uh, an hour. And uh, what's really cool is you can access your workout from anywhere. Uh, you can connect across multiple devices like Roku, iPad, iPhone, and uh, pretty soon PS3 and, uh, and Xbox. And uh, just for Mental Illness Happy Hour users, you get the first 30 days free when you go to dailyburn.com slash happy hour. Check it out. It's a really cool site. Daily Burn, the best fitness anywhere. So you, for you, looking at pornography like eight hours a day. I mean, I read. Stuff I might be about exaggerating that. a little bit, but <laughs> but you know, it was it was huge amounts of of looking at pornography and almost watching myself going, "What are you doing?" But it it was that mania was. It's like my adrenaline was going, and I didn't want that drug to end because I felt so alive. Sure, especially when you feel close to death. It's like you're gonna grab if you're falling off a cliff. You're gonna grab onto the it's rocks, like, the like leaves as your fingers like scrape down off the edge. You're like, okay, well, I gotta take anything that's working. It felt so. like oxygen after suffocating. Yeah, it's like why would I stop doing this? This is as pleasurable as as anything, and it and it wasn't necessarily. Even the the sex part of it, because I, I sometimes I wouldn't even masturbate um, after looking at this. I would just, I just wanted the oblivion sure, of, that makes of it, sense. and it gave me that that sense of oblivion. You know, and then I I don't really look at pornography that obsessively. I think for me, it will happen like occasionally in a really dark spot where I'll have a couple days there where like I'll dip into it. And I've had discussions with my poor wife who I'm sure like, you know, every wife loves finding their husband <laughs> looking at pornography. I'm sure that's top on their list of yeah. things they'd love to happen. And the best way I could explain it was it's not that she's not enough for me because she is she's as close to a perfect as a human being can get. The whole thing was that I'm not enough for me. That I don't know if that makes sense at it all. It makes perfect Everyone sense. is enough for me except for myself. Yes. Um, so just, that would motivate that behavior. I was just thinking that last night that I have no problem accepting what is in the universe, the way it unfolds, the way other people act, how other people uh, treat me. I can't stand my place, uh, my lack of motivation, my inability to get the things done that I want to, how much I sleep. In, in other words, I, ca I can't accept my 
who I, who I am and what I'm not. Do you think you'll ever get there? Yes, because I've been there. Okay, so and, something and you I, can find your way back to. And yes, and I know that it's a result of my um, the nonlinear aspect of healing from trauma and and mental illness, you know, depression. But I'm so glad that you said that because that 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 sums it up in a nutshell that that I can have this peace out uh, about every centimeter outside of my body. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> Even in the worst of it. But for me, usually what it does is like, wow, I guess I'm just going to really get into it. Like, that's the point, though. huh? For me, when and, I do... And I do want to get back to the, the cult uh, oh, at sure, some point. Oh, sure, sure. Because that's interesting stuff. Oh, yeah. I feel like we didn't cover that completely, but go ahead. Well, for the, for the pornography, if I do decide to watch it, it's usually because I've had so much violent sexual memories from my past of terrible things that have happened. And for, is this beyond the, the two boys that... Yeah, you? and it, yeah, and it, it may not be stuff I I feel comfortable getting into, but yeah, there's okay. there's more than that. Um, and then so for me, seeing two humans who are kind to each other, even if it's performance, even if it's performance, just some kind of shared human connection in that sexual way that doesn't end in violence, reassures me that it's possible in the world. And I feel like even though it's really hard, probably anytime I'm in a relationship for the other person to, to understand that aspect of it, it almost makes me better for them in the sense of I'm not going to be freaked out personally. Um, by it's, intimacy yeah, and, sure, and gentleness. Sure. Like I can, I can see that, you know, it's a safe way to experience that. And I can see that like nothing terrible happened that I didn't get hurt that hopefully, ideally, these two actors, they didn't get hurt in it. You know, I try not to watch anything that's, like, you know, hurtful to other people. So that's not a, a arousing to you. Um, oh, God, no, no, that, that, that will depress the hell out of me. And I don't blame, you know, I get because it for people, some people that do. That that makes sense. Just that's not how my wiring works. It seems yeah. to, to be almost like a magnetic field where it's it's either an attraction or a repulsion for people. What the the manner that their abuse was perpetrated on them either winds up being something that they need to get off or they it it sickens them. Yeah, and I think part of it comes back to just like mastery. I've heard that before, like sort of mastering the abuse that's happened to you, feeling in control of it mm -hmm. instead of feeling under its sway. So I definitely get people who that, that is appealing to. Um, and as long as like real people don't, get hurt from it then i i kind of approve you know what i mean i i for, for me it's violent too. video games like i will i will love the hell out of like a violent video and i'm a i'm a pacifist i'm a vegetarian i do like protest wars and the death penalty but i will love just like destroying someone violently what are your favorite video what are your game. um well as far as violent video games go there's one called mad world it's this really artsy japanese game where the point is just to like hurt someone as brutally as possible like <laughs> knocking their heads off in a dumpster or impaling them on spikes and like it'll make it'll put me in a great mood and i'll feel like i got it out of my system when i was a kid and I, that shootout happened at my house i used to like get really really dark and have these dark fantasies of like oh you know the typical columbine thing where like oh i'll shoot up everybody at the school i didn't have access to a gun but those fantasies would play out of my mind and i'd play video games like light gun video games to like experience what it would be like and i just shoot all the innocent civilians in the games and it would make me feel really guilty and it would make me feel really terrible. And it was a safe way to kind of experience what that would be like. And I'd realize, okay, if I did this in real life, it's not going to fix anything. It's not going to make me feel better. I'll feel awful. But it was a cathartic and safe way to kind of 
role play out those dark sides of me and without the consequences of actually hurting real life people. And I think pornography, even though it doesn't serve that outlet for me, I think it can do that for people. I do believe that. Uh, was there, was there another thought that you had regarding, um, the, the, the sexuality and the expressing of it in, in pornography before we go back to the, I think that, I stuff. think that's it. I think that covers it for me. For me, it's not about like, I don't have wandering eyes or a wandering heart. It's more just like a broken heart and it makes me feel a little less broken. So. So let's talk about the the cult. It was in L.A. And this you, one was you, north of San Francisco, okay. and I actually um, this most recent one. I kind of respect the people involved as far as all because I'm very careful with cults. I try to be like if I get violent vibes or I find out they've had a violent history, I tend to break off contact with them because I don't want to get involved in something like I don't want the cult to be doing something awful and then me wind up getting arrested with all of them or mm-hmm. you know for something like that. So I try to pick them carefully. This one was north of San Francisco in Petaluma. And the drug itself that they used was called, it's ayahuasca, which I think is becoming mm-hmm. more popular. There's a recent LA Weekly cover story on it. But and there's this, a documentary, actually, that Joe Rogan was a part of, too, that... Uh, is it that spirit molecule? Yes. The DMT Yeah, thing? it's fascinating yeah, documentary. It's a really, really interesting drug, but I think it's really dangerous. Are they, it's dangerous for people like And it's us, legal to be given under illnesses. the care of a mental health professional, from what I understand. Yeah, it is. And these people were not mental health professionals and their um shaman who actually is the guy from brazil who would uh whatever he would spend days brewing this up to the proper proportions he was not available his passport got denied so the group was just like oh we'll make it on our own the shaman's not here but you know they what they do is they blend dmt with uh maoi which i don't know if you know much about those but that's a last line of defense psychiatric medication for untreatable depression it's after decades and everything else hasn't worked they'll give you uh i can't remember monoxide inhibitor i'm butchering it but something close to that um but if you were to get that prescribed by a psychiatrist they give you a list of like 30 foods you can't eat with it because it's so powerful and such a dangerous drug and they really use it as the last line but this group mixed dmt the most potent psychedelic in the world with an maoi because that helps it cross the blood brain barrier and become psychologically active and they did it in an amateur way they were just like brewing it up on their own in this cabin up in northern san francisco so it was not proper doses it was not proper levels there's was, there was about 60 of us all dressed in white in this cabin up in the mountains which for me as a writer, I was like, I've hit the jackpot for a cult. Like, I'm at the highest level of this cult, and I'm experiencing... You know, they played they played children's music all night on speakers. They played... Sweet they mother played, of God! They played Row, Row, Row Your Boat, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, you know, like, all the songs you remember from a kid, and they had us all dressed in white, and then we took these drugs, and they were telling us to take more... Like, it was it was like a drink, so I was literally drinking Did you think about Jonestown at any point? I did. I thought I was dying, because it was a bad... It was bad Before shit. you drank it, was, was there a, a like, uh, no, maybe I'll wait an hour and I see if anybody hits I the ground. Should've, I should have thought it better because people did hit the ground. People were having seizures, throwing up, crying. It was a bad batch of the And shit. did this start happening after you had drank yours? Oh, yeah. And they were very insistent. They were like, if you're having a bad experience, you need to drink more. They said, there's going to be a voice in your head that says stop. And you need to ignore that voice because the most important work happens when you drink more. So they had us drink massive doses of this incorrectly brewed strongest site. Like it um, has to deal with neuroplasticity in the brain. And they were literally rewiring our brains. Like our brain, my brain is permanently changed because of it. It's not something that happens and fades away. Like things get attached and detached. What, um, what is the, the change that you feel has happened? 
no longer a firm grasp on reality. When I got back from the cult, like for three months, I thought I was still at the cult. Like I thought that real life was a hallucination and that I was still on the floor having a seizure at this cult meeting with the children's music playing. Um, and I had to like wake my wife up in the middle of the night and be like, just tell me something normal. Is this real life? Is this a hallucination? Like, tell me that, um, I'm here at home. Tell me what you cooked for dinner just say normal things to me because I'd lost my mind so much that I thought I was permanently trapped on the floor in this cult because I would have such intense hallucinations of leaving the cult of going home of living my life for three years and then all of a sudden I'd snap back and still be at the cult that happened over the course of the real cult e- event mm-hmm. so it made it really tricky for me to realize it was finally over what a mind um, fuck and, it, and because of the children's music that brought me back to everything terrible that happened when I was a child like the rapes the violence um my parents I think it's hard for them to face but they were they were violent like they um, have mental illnesses as well. And it was a violent upbringing for me. Like, my mom broke boards on my back to punish me. My dad, like, would punch me in the nose until my nose was bleeding. Like, bruises with, like, throwing baseballs at me against the wall until, like, I was covered in bruises. Like, it was it was rough shit. Um, but, like, having to experience that while I was on these drugs, you know, like, re-experience that stuff. Like, it really just... At that point, I was holding it together in my life. And then this happened maybe two years ago. And after that, that's kind of when things imploded, where I was just like, I no longer have a grasp on my emotions and I'm no longer functioning. You know, I, I can't, I still to this day can't get sleep anymore because the act of falling asleep triggers me. Because when I was falling, when I was passing out from this drug, I thought I was, you know, I was like, oh boy, you really fucked, <laughs> you really fucked up, didn't you? What are you doing? You're on the floor drinking this poison that a cult made like what did you do in your life that led you to this moment It was like a moment of awakening and i realized like i don't want to die here i don't want to die on the floor in a cult in a cabin in the mountains like that's ridiculous and you don't want to die in a white robe yeah it's true and that's just <laughs> first of all you're going to shit yourself and it's really going to show yeah well people were people were i mean that's how like brutal this night was like i didn't shit myself but people did they were like puking all over the place like having bathroom accidents like it was a scene it was a total scene at least make the robes in earth tone (laughs) there you go (laughs) there you go i see that's i love that you laugh about it and make those dark jokes because i i have to when i'm telling the stories and usually when i'm telling the stories about things that have happened people's like jaws are just like and then it makes me feel better to say it with a smile because what else am i gonna do i'm not gonna like go Ah, cry in the corner i do that for most of the time i do that for 20 hours a day when i'm seeing other people that's my moment to finally like be happy about it and i think for people that have never experienced that they think that then that then is the totality of your life which bring makes them feel so sad but they forget that there's often still joy in your life that is even appreciated more deeply because because you've experienced that darkness like i'm I'm really ex- the more near life near death experiences I have, the happier I get. Uh, you had Scott Thompson on recently, and he was yeah. talking about how his shooting. He said that something about that it was the perfect drug. This this is another story that happened very recently. This summer, I was in the Santa Monica shootout that made national news. Obama was in town doing trade talks with China. Some guy went crazy and went to Santa, Santa Monica, Monica College. College he started at our office actually. He burned his house down, hijacked a car, and started shooting at our office. Then he went to the Santa Monica College, and for the month after that happened. 
I was the happiest I'd ever been. Now, I was sad because people got murdered around me. And I don't mean to make light of that because that part was a tragedy. But just I felt so happy that I'd made it through something else. And I got to, like, experience more life. And, you know, Groundhog's Day with uh, yeah. Bill Murray when he, like, he realizes the days start repeating themselves. So he goes out to dinner and orders, like, all these desserts. Yes. He's got a full plate full of, like, pie and donuts. I did that for dinner for, like, an entire month. I gained 20 pounds in a month just because I was like, fuck it. I'm alive. I don't give a shit about anything. Like. Wow. Give me all the things. I want all the happiness. I want the donuts. I want the pie. I want to hug my friends. I started, I'm kind of shy, but I started going out to like concerts and meeting strangers and hanging out with the bands. I started smoking cigarettes and like, I just felt really fucking alive and it felt good. So it was a tragedy combined with, um, with happiness. Definitely. Wow. That is, it makes sense. Is I cure it, but because I've never experienced that that level of witnessing that level of violence and feeling that it it uh, I'm just trying to wrap my head around how intense that must be. And also, I think in some ways, because of the things that have happened to me in the in the past, it may it helped a lot with my masculinity issues because. When shit like that happens, I'm actually really calm. I'm kind of squirrely and nervous in real life. But if you put me in a crisis, just because I've, I've been through, I like to joke like a police officer, like that's when my training kicks in. So I was able Do to things ha- slow down for you. Uh, certainly, I think that happens with a lot of people. My theory on that is the brain um, knows it's important to survival, so it wants to capture it as much as possible so they can remember things later. So it kind of just goes in the like 48 frames per second. Exactly. (laughs) Um, But I was able to like help this girl who I'd never met before. And like, we were like climbing over walls, hiding in their cars. We ended up going to like a utility closet and we had like a secret code. Like a, it was almost like a, uh, a, James Bond movie or Jason Bourne movie where like I had this secret knock because I go do reconnaissance to see if he was still out there shooting people to make sure uh, she was safe and then that felt really manly which I don't feel manly ever at all because I'm I'm in a like a feet silly punk rocker guy who loves to read books all the time so I who's been raped so I don't feel tough very much but to survive a shootout and kind of act like a champ in it that really helped a lot and I think some of that like manic energy came from like oddly enough and I'm really sad for the people who die like I don't mean to be flipping about it like that's a it's a tragedy and I feel bad I think we know I think we know that I think think it felt like it fixed something in me like it felt like it fixed the aspect of myself that that you know I'm, I'm not as ashamed of myself or who I am would it be fair to say that you feel like it erased a portion of your self-doubt about yourself a little bit or it felt like making amends for times where I hadn't acted the way I wanted to there have been times where I felt like I should have helped people it wasn't as severe but there were times where I failed and it felt like well at, at least that time I came through so did you see the the gunman in person or did you just hear Here's the interesting thing, and this will be the hardest for my parents to hear, and I think they should turn it off if they're listening, but I thought it was my dad at first. I thought the gunman was my father. Um, that's probably going to break his heart if he hears it, but that's that's the truth. Um, my parents' relationship has not been good recently. Just ever since the cult meeting, those memories were forefront of my hard childhood, and I had, to, just for my own safety, I was getting triggered left and right. I had to like slow things down. And for me, slowing things down was like, hey, mom and dad. I'm going to need two weeks and I'll talk to you again in two weeks and everything's okay. I just need a break of talking. Cause like, I'm not, 
not feeling so great. And they don't respond to that at well. They kind of respond it with stalking. I don't think they think that parents can stalk because parents should have unlimited access. But it was around the clock phone calls, emails, Facebook messages, flying to town uninvited, trying to meet with me. And it got to the point, my parents are safe now. They don't, they're not violent people now. But, you know, they've been in treatment themselves for their issues. Um, but I had been triggered so much and I had so many unpleasant memories that I felt unsafe. So my wife and I were actually staying in a hotel the night before the shootout happened just so that my parents couldn't find me because I didn't want to have a confrontation with them. Um, so when the shootout started happening, I, it made sense. Like I left the next morning to work from the hotel and the gunshots started going off and people were screaming. And I thought, Oh, my dad's here. He, cause he was in Los Angeles. Um, we just hadn't seen each other. I was like, my dad found my work and he's here trying to murder me and trying to murder people. And thank God it wasn't him. And I want to, you know, I almost want to apologize for thinking it was him, but like, that's just the path life led me on. So that was particularly difficult to experience that aspect of it. At what point did you know that it wasn't him? Well, after um, I'd taken this girl to safety to this uh, utility closet in an apartment complex, um, I'd gone out and saw a woman crying on the phone because she was in a car behind him when he was, she, you know, he shot up a city bus and, um, you know, she was just sobbing to a friend of hers saying like, I saw him and I had to duck down on my floorboard to not get murdered. And, you know, I talked, I waited until she was off the phone to like make sure she was okay and comfort her. And she invited me and my new friend into like her apartment. Um, and... I'm trying to make these girls feel okay, but I'm also trying to find out if it's my dad. But I don't want them to kick me out of the apartment back into the insanity outside. Yeah. Um, so I was just like, oh, I'm so sorry you had to see that. What did he look like? How tall was he? Are, are you feeling okay? Can I get you a glass of water? Was he bald? Did he have glasses? <laughs> you know, it wasn't on TV yet because it was so recent. Um, and eventually, like, the police caught him. And then I discovered, you know, it wasn't my dad. But I had to call my wife from the closet. I said, don't go home. We're getting shot at, and I don't know who it is, but don't go home just in case. Like, go. I want you to go hide out at a friend's house because I thought, worst case scenario, if it was my father, then after this, he doesn't find me, he's going to our apartment. Um, so I still try to have a relationship with my parents because um, they didn't do that. You know, they didn't shoot me. But that's how my mind experienced it at the time, and it's really hard to continue acting like things are normal when that's I mean that's a couple months ago when things are so fresh and so recent and I haven't visited them in a couple years and I I make plans like I was making plans to see them this year and then the LAX shootout happened at the terminal I was going to use and then I was like okay I can't I can't do it anymore it's too much and my my psychologist told me like dude you're like that's like jumping off a boat without a life vest like you can't go make this visit right now so it's it's sad honestly mostly because I think we both want a different relationship and we don't know how to get there. Do you feel like your parents are willing to put the effort and to have the open-mindedness to see their part in things as a part of changing and have a having a healthier relationship? I don't know. Like I try. Like for example, after the shooting, I called them on the weekend to make sure that you know because I know that's freaky to have a son almost die. At least I I hope it would be freaky. And you know I left them a nice message on the phone and um, I didn't hear back from them. And then my mom sent me an email. Um, hardly even acknowledging that it happened. She sent me an email that said, um, I'm, you know, I know this must have been a setback for you, but I'm really upset because I just bought some expensive cars and I was having a hard time parking these expensive cars in my driveway. And you didn't even think 
to check on me and how my expensive cars are doing. And I was just like, what? how do I even respond to that? You know what I mean? Like, what? and all my friends, the first thing they said was like, I'm glad you didn't die. Like, I don't need like flower bouquet of flowers, but it would have been nice if my mom said, I'm glad you didn't die instead of trying to make me feel like a bad son. Dude, so. that is beyond fucked up. Yeah, it is a little. And I do. A little? Yeah. I mean, I, I love them, but it's hard. It's hard to have a relationship. Matthew, that's like, that's crazy. Yeah, it, it's it's tough. It certainly is. So. Um, I'm, I'm speechless. Me too. And that's why we hardly talk now. Because I, you know, how do you respond to that? So... When you, when you just shared that about your mom and the expensive cars, is there any kind of feeling or emotion that comes up when you, when you, um, yeah, I mean, it's not a pleasant emotion, but the emotion is that this is unfixable. But what's the emotion that, cause that's the thought. What's the emotion underneath it? Uh, I'm over it. I'm done. I'm done trying to make it work. That's the, the thought. What's yeah. the emotion underneath it? My therapist does Sorrow? this to me. Sorrow, yeah. I guess. Yeah. yeah. My my therapist does this to me <laughs> all the time and I fucking hate it. Because it reminds me. <laughs> so how, you're pa- paying it forward. <laughs> yeah. It, it reminds me how numb I am. Yeah. And how oh, much I, I, I mean, I have to be numb. I mean, I don't, maybe I don't have to be, but there's a lot. I mean, you've heard, you've heard a little bit. You've heard like 10% so far. There's a lot. So I, you know, like I go through moments of numb and unnumb whatever unnumb is um but the the numb has been a good friend when i'm too unnumb i almost commit suicide or have emotional affairs with people online so or have joy of being alive and eating 50 desserts every night for a month yeah it's true i haven't found out how to navigate that i haven't how i haven't found out how to navigate unnumb in ways that are safe for me and other people you know the the um article that I read on a mini episode of this show about co-narcissism, um, which is a profound article uh, by Dr. Alan Rappaport. And one of the things he says is growing up as the child of narcissists, um, we have difficulty with regulation. We are thinking tends to be black or white, and we really struggle with gray and nuance. And I'm just struck by how profoundly true that is. And I see so much of that in your in your story and and i relate you know i relate to it it's it's so hard i and i wonder if that's because we need we need hard evidence to 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 comfort us and anything that isn't clearly hard evidence is um scary you know maybe because we don't trust the uh integrity of others or the integrity of our of ourselves but i just wonder what 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 is it why is it so comforting to I have hard evidence because my stories sound unbelievable. Like I have a hard time when people first meet me, it takes a long time for them to realize I'm not joking. Like I, I have, my life is this crazy, um, that these strange things for some reason keep happening. Like I was robbed at a movie theater at gunpoint, um, in college. I, I mean, I could rattle on forever, but like, I like, I keep, on. Su- I keep on. souvenirs. Um, like I'll keep newspaper clippings of the things that have happened. And I like, I want to show them to people because I'm like, this this really happened. I'm not making it up. Um, I I won the shitty wheel of fortune. It's, 
<laughs> I love that. I truly do. I love that. I'm going to tell people that. I did. <laughs> Big money is what I landed on. So, um, but yeah, and, and here's another interesting thing. The cult, for example, the cult that uh, with the brainwashing, that this always like I I, I wait for I waited forever to tell my psychologist and psychiatrist this because I knew they'd like try and change my diagnosis. That cult was founded by ex CIA researchers. They're no longer in the CIA, but they were part of the whole like MK Ultra scene and the like, I don't know if you've heard of that. Like the men who stare at goats. Oh, there was this weird period during the sixties and seventies when you know that stuff was just in the culture. And is that and when it, they slipped acid into into people's? Sure, sure. And then also they would do experiments on the sea, like if you could erase someone's memories under interrogation or torture, and what could remain, and how psychedelics would affect that. And one of the things they did was. Um, they wanted to give someone a message. They would play children's music all night on repeat and some of the same songs that we used at this particular cult. And then they would see if they could carry forth the message in the morning after they'd been completely wiped by all these psychedelic drugs to be able to still say, I'm content and good with everything in the world. And at this particular cult, um, after all the craziness was over, they played a song called I Am Happy, I Am Good, and just repeated for 20 minutes, kids singing I Am Happy, I Am Good. And when I left the cult, everyone with bug eyes kept saying, I am happy, I am good. Jesus. Felt like something out of a movie. But later on, it was like a year later after this happened, I had a library book, and I saw a picture of this cabin in the woods that I was at. I was like, this looks exactly like my cabin in the woods. It's called Spiritual Landscapes, the book. And it details, you know, California's history of sort of occult and esoteric religious ideas. And it had, and it said this was the... Well, I don't want to say the name of the place because I actually want to protect these people because they're kind people. I know it sounds crazy. I want to protect this cult because they're kind people. But it said the name of a particular institute. I know, you're giving me crazy eyes. These people are sincere and they're not trying to hurt people. Like, they sincerely believe this and they're not violent. I think they'd but they fucked are, up. But I think they are hurting people. Yeah, you're right. You know, I mean, what's the difference between the deranged person that, that thinks that the child really wants to have sex with them and the cult person that's feeding somebody ayahuasca to the point that they're shitting themselves? And um, Yeah, that's a good point. I'm not know. sure if this is the venue for that because I don't want to attract that to I, you or me right now. Does that I make sense? It. Yes. Um, and, and I'm more comfortable with you not sharing okay. that. But I just uh, I just wanted to, to point out No, that's that, a good point. You know... Because I often think, like, they're, whether or not somebody is prosecutable has nothing to do with how we should process the weight of what happened to us. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I think I think to, to put those two things together can get in the way of showing that compassion towards ourselves. Because we're like, well, if it wasn't a crime, it doesn't matter whether or not it was a crime. What matters is how it made us feel. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that's a good yeah. thing to keep in mind. Um, well, anyway, I did look through my old emails and I found out that this was the location and this was the group and that they were comprised of ex-CIA researchers. And I'm like, okay, I officially have, I can't even understand how crazy my life is now that I've been brainwashed by the CIA. And I don't tell people that off the bat because I know that's the first thing a crazy person says. Right. Um, they weren't part of the government anymore. They're not the government trying to plant secret messages. I think they were just part of that culture that was at large at the time, the interest in psychedelics spilled into the CIA and then they retired and they continued on that path in their own private life. But I do carry that book around as proof now. Like I had to get the library proof library book just cause like the whole black and white uncertainty thing. Like that's a big deal for me. Like this actually happened. It's real. And for me, it's not 
it's not real until I have that proof. Um, I, I got an email one time from a person that was six pages, single spaced, all caps about the government being after them, you know, and oh, yeah, th- like that's clearly easy to go. OK, this person is either schizophrenic or something is, is happening that's beyond their or the government control. really got to them and made them type in all caps right? <laughs> yeah. oh poor guy if they're listening that didn't yeah. happen <laughs> uh, but you know I just immediately moved that to my folder of uh, I think the, the folder is uh, entitled uh, be concerned or oh. something, something <laughs> like I'm that I'm sure you attract I attract that too I attract some people where like where I'm seeking friendships the people who understand me the best are also people who are just as unstable as me <laughs> yeah. so that's, that's a two edged sword where yeah. you can get great comfort from them but you can also you're just triggers waiting to set each other off also i uh, happily i get very very few ones from people that are like oh this this person has no grasp uh, on on reality uh, you know i would say if if i get a thousand emails i would say maybe three are like that so it's 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 much less than you would think thank god because i think that would really start to Sure. To, yeah, to, yeah. To well, you're out. doing good stuff because I, I mean, like, I can't tell you how many times we're like, I'm having a late night freak out and there's no one to talk to. I'm like, okay, I'm going to put on Paul's podcast and I'm going to feel better listening to it. So I'm sure there are people who you don't even know, like exponential, who that's having that effect on. So thank you for the work you do. I know you do it because you get enjoyment out of it, but just thank you from the rest of us also. Oh, that's so, so sweet. I appreciate you saying that. Let's, um, what what else can we can we touch on? Uh, I'm s- shocked at how much ground we have covered because when you when you shared with me in the email the broad strokes of what's happened to you, I'm like this is going to be a five hour oh episode. It, I mean it but could be. I'm trying to. I'm you're so to... articulate at at describing these things. Um, you, you would be great at at uh, hosting a podcast or, or hosting something because you um you articulate this in in, in such uh an easy conversative matter is that a word convert conversational yeah yeah um those are both those are both take your pick ma- matter <laughs> it's like you're a you're a, a podcast host's dream guest because you get this information out in a way that is um so it makes my job so easy i don't have to i don't have to pull <laughs> things out of you well, and it's because i obsess over it nightly yeah so it's all it's all there at well, the just, front of my mind i just want you to know how happy i am to to have you as a guest i feel bad that this stuff has happened to you but um i'm so glad that you you contacted me because your story is compelling beyond words to 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 me and i well thank you for that but i also feel lucky i feel lucky to have a compelling life like even though some of it's hard like i'd i'd much rather if i could do this all again i would choose it if i could have this mix of good and bad a hundred percent i wouldn't i wouldn't even have to think twice about it do you even feel that way when you are at your deepest darkest depressed only when i hurt other people when i hurt other people um and especially this recent month i know i've hurt people and that kind of stuff i i would take back but it's also i'm also happy to still be alive and i'm also happy that sometimes mistakes make us closer to other people also so your wife sounds like a really really beautiful soul she's a dream she really is i mean i can't handle myself but she can handle me and i don't know how she does it so yeah. what are what are some of the nice things that you tell her when you do you do you share with her 
I would imagine you do. You sound what like a guy. Some of the things I tell her. No, some oh. of the, the 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 ways that you express love to her, and um, thanks for being patient. It's ne- it never it never feels enough. Um, I'm a good house husband. You know what I mean. I like to uh, keep things up domestically, like cooking dinner and uh, finding things that are important to her, like um, getting like finding her favorite book and getting it autographed by the author or um, taking her on trips around the world. Like, I feel like I'm such a mm, loquacious. Is that a word? I'm such a talkative person Mm -hmm. that like I could talk till the end of the day. So I, you know, I say a bunch of nice things to her, but I've been trying more recently to focus on actions because at least in my relationship with other people who have hurt me, like, they'll say I'm sorry or they'll say they love me and then it just kind of falls falls away because I know those are just words and words are nice but sometimes it's not enough yeah so lately I've been focusing more on on actions and trying to do things to show her that I appreciate what are some of the words that you share with her when you do hmm um just that uh she's appreciated and loved and no one makes me feel as alive as she does um i mean i I try to write love letters at least like once a week or so and i may like i don't know i may keep those private as a gift to her just because i don't know i feel like that's just for her if that makes oh yeah yeah Yeah. i mean it's okay okay to ask but like i feel like somehow it's more special just to keep that that. keep that put away for her Yeah. yeah that's beautiful um, do you want to do fears and loves? Uh, am I yeah, chewing up I'll, too much? No, no, no. We can, we can do them. I'll, uh, I'm excited about them because I thought about them a lot. Good. So. I, I didn't think that we would get through all of this stuff that you shared in, as quickly as we did. So I didn't bring any listeners' fears or loves. So I'm just going to have to uh, Miles Davis some of my own. Yeah, you should. Okay. Well, you can tell me what's happening for you today. So should I go first? Then? Yeah, Let yeah, me, you go uh, first. I actually have them all written down here. So if I can find it. I think I lost my phone. All right. So what do we start off with? Do we start Let's off start with off with some fears. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll start off. Uh-huh. I'm afraid that those CIA guys are going to hear this, and even though you didn't name them, they're going to kill me. <laughs> I, well, um, uh, I'm good at saving people, so you just call me right away, and I'll step in. <laughs> um, I fear falling asleep on drugs and not waking up because I took too many. I fear that I'm never going to find a med that's going to work consistently for me. And every single holiday, I'm going to feel like the way I do now, which is getting up at noon and going back to bed at three. That sounds like the life. But I know it's suffering for you, probably. Because because I can't sleep. Uh, that sounds like <laughs> that sounds like a dream to me. But I know it's one thing. One man's trash is another man's yeah. treasure. Yeah. Um, for me, I fear one day having a kid. And being so shut down and catatonic from childhood flashbacks that I'm incapable of being a compassionate and engaged parent. I'm afraid when my mom does die, um, I will not be able to handle the guilt that I cut contact with her. Wow, I didn't put that down, but that may be the only reason I haven't done that. Um, So yeah, that would be near the top of my fear list. Um, I fear going dumb from medications that i need like recently i was on a medication that was going to help me sleep and i couldn't read on it like i would the next day like words were a jumbled mess to me and i 
I love I love reading so much that um I I couldn't handle I, it was bringing me relief but I'd rather be miserable and be able to read than have the relief so that's that's a huge fear for me I'm afraid that uh, the end of being able to play hockey because my body breaking down is much much sooner than I think it is oh wow so I didn't even know that you played hockey I should have paid more attention that's <laughs> all yeah. good um. I am afraid of bees, and I know that that's like one of a more simple one, but here's something about my wife that I can share. I'm deathly afraid of bees, and I've been like, it's way more scary than getting shot at or brainwashed by a cult for me. Like, bees are like my number one, just like instant phobia. And then one of the nicest things anybody's ever done for me is whenever my wife sees a bee on me, she'll just like pick it up with her hand and scoop it off of me and like let it go and to me that seems so courageous because i'm so shut down and paralyzed with fear that when she does that it feels like the sweetest thing any human's ever done for me so and then i actually have a tattoo of a bee on my arm she took me to japan as a birthday present um this year actually which made this year not the in addition to the worst year it also made this year one of the best years um so it's nice to have that balance out in there but i got a tattoo from a, a yakuza artist because i speak japanese um of a bee and for me like i guess it's a ri- reminder that the things i'm it sounds so i'm gonna go oprah on you here but um the things that seem like the most terrifying and painful also if i wait long enough can lead to like some of the nicest moments of grace like if i wouldn't have that moment of my wife saving me from bees and like totally melting my heart if i weren't so afraid of them so it's kind of a reminder, not that bad things are good, but that if I hang in there, the pain can be transformed into something worthwhile eventually. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Um, my turn for a fear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for a fear. Um, I'm afraid that uh, global warming is having, happening a much faster pace than anybody thinks that it is and the water shortages are going to become so horrifying that um suicide will make sense as opposed to being thirsty all the time committing suicide in a moment of, of weakness and regretting it i don't know if i'll be able to regret it yeah. but just regretting it and I, the way i like to uh, compare it is like you know like in a soccer game a goalie he can like catch like a thousand balls, but like all he has to do is miss one and that's it. And I feel like that's what suicidal thoughts are. Like you can sit there prepared, catching them and swatting them down all the time that like, nope, don't do it. This isn't the right choice. Nope, don't do it. And all it has to do is like just one fly by past the goalie and that's it. And I'm worried that like my goalie is going to get tired. Just hope that the part of you that does physically commit uh, suicide or try is inept. Yes, there we go. That's the hope. Yeah, I'm sure that I can be paralyzed. Then it would be a lovely life. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm afraid that I'm never going to get my vigor back to just take care of everyday chores. How long has it been missing? Um, definitely about a year because I had it this at this point last year, and then that med stopped working. It was working for about four months. It was mirtazapine, and then it just stopped working. And I was I was putting on weight, so I was like, "Well, if this isn't working, I'm definitely not gonna get fat sit around no and get fat and wait for it to <laughs> to start working again." And yeah. uh, Lamictal started working um, for a couple of months, and 
Um, but not to the point that I felt as good as I did on the, on the mirtazapine. It was just acceptable. And that's kind of where it is now. It's, it's like, okay, I'm not suicidal, but there's no, everything isn't like when the mirtazapine was working, I was like, rearranged my office. I had a garage sale, you know, I was woodworking again. And now it's just like, you know. I don't know. That's that's kind of why I don't want to yeah. bring this thing down. But what's that's, your fears? You're allowed to bring it down, right? That's yeah, the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just afraid that I'm never going to get out of this trough. It's not a bottom, but it's a it's a it's a below sea level. Sometimes I feel with the medications where it's just like, well, if that's the best I can get, I'll I'll take that. You know, <laughs> I'll take I'll take this below sea level as long as I can put my nose above yeah. the water occasionally. But you know, I am grateful that human uh intimacy with people who have experienced things like you have still bring me joy still um get me momentarily out of those troughs you know reading a, interviewing somebody who whose spirit is um amazing like yours or getting an email from somebody who is showing me love and compassion and you know maybe heard a past episode where you know, I lost my shit uh, on the episode and broke down and cried, and and they're kind of sending me some some comfort or sharing something that was similar to them. Those moments, even in my worst depression, always just feel like a sweet, warm hug, and I'm I'm grateful that I never get to the point where those things don't don't feel good. It's just sometimes yeah, that's the yeah. only thing in my day that that brings me joy. Do you know the thing from Annie Hall or Woody Allen's like he's you got to put up with the chickens cuz you need the eggs so much? I feel like that. I feel like things like this are definitely the eggs that yeah. make it worth it. Yeah. yeah. Um your turn. Okay. I'm worried that I'm going to have this and usually every day I feel like a jerk. That's just part of my makeup. I feel like a jerk and I don't like myself enough. But I worry that one day when I'm like in my late 60s I'm going to have that big revelation that's in all the movies where they go Oh my God, I'm the asshole. I've been the asshole my whole life and I made everything was a mistake. So I worry about that constantly. And that influences my day-to-day decisions. Like, should I be nicer to this checkout clerk at the grocery store? Should I buy this CD? Like everything's like, if I buy this CD and waste money instead of donate it to Amnesty International, it's all going to feed into that big revelation when I'm in my late sixties. Like, Oh, I was the asshole. Wow. Yeah, that's one of my biggest fears. That should go near the top of the list, too, yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I'm afraid that I'm never going to be able to uh, care for myself physically, and things are just going to mount up until one day I'm like, it's all too much, and I'm going to want to uh, commit suicide. Yeah, that's generally how the thought process goes. I just, I can't, <laughs> I, I'm in this trough where I can't make the appointments with a doctor. I need an MRI on my knee. I feel like I probably need shoulder surgery. Um, you know, it's, and I just can't bring myself to even pick up the phone and care for myself to, you know, do that. It just feels like sandpaper. Yeah, I know that. Um a good, uh, a good friend of mine from Venezuela, She, I was going through something like that, and she told me, you don't have to fix everything. Your only job today is to hang on. And then that, that was a huge relief to me. Because there's stuff that doesn't need to get taken care of. Like, self-care is important. But sometimes when it's all overwhelming, you realize that, like, okay, I'm here, and I'm hanging on, and that's that's my number one job, and I'm succeeding at that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, if if hanging on is all we got to do, then I'm doing okay. Your turn. Okay. One of my biggest fears is that everyone else will finally wake up to the idea that I never stop failing. And then everyone else will feel the same way I do about me. Oh, my God. Anybody listening to this podcast, I can guarantee you, is like, that guy is fucking resilient and has a beautiful, beautiful spirit. That's the overwhelming thing I take out of this interview from you is what a survivor you are and what a strong spirit you have. It's that you have this this joy and this uh, that hasn't ground you to a a pulp quite the opposite you know you you have this light in you um that is beautiful it's beautiful and it feels so weird for us to hear you talking about these this this self-hatred when what people in your presence experience is the exact opposite of that, which just goes to show how how deep mental illness is and how cunning and baffling it is. Yeah, um, that's all very nice. I, obviously, I don't have to. I'm not good at taking compliments. That's part of the self hate. But thank you for saying it. I'll probably listen to it ten times when the podcast comes out. So thank you. Thank well, you. I can Paul. guarantee you're going to get some beautiful emails from from listeners, and I always forward them to uh, to the guests. So you're gonna you're gonna get some nice ones. Okay. Do you have a Do you have a fear? Or was it my turn? Or are we I've, done with fears? Let's Let's go to loves. Okay. Let's see here. Okay, this one ties in perfectly to just what you said. Um, I love gestures of intense, unexpected kindness from a friend when you suddenly realize they're a better friend than you'd assumed. So what you just said yeah. felt like that. Thank oh, you. Awesome. I love um, turning on one of Phil Henry's uh, podcasts and hearing one of my favorite characters that he does uh, dive into a great premise and laughing until my face and my stomach hurt. I don't think I'm, I'm familiar with this. You have to listen to him. Yeah, uh, please. Go, go to a Phil Hendry show, and his last name is spelled H-E-N-D-R-I-E, and he is a genius. He fakes phone calls to himself um, as characters so he is moderating and then he's talking into a phone doing a character with an inflammatory stance on a topic and then callers call in not knowing that's him doing a character and they buy into it and he makes it more and more inflammatory so you just see him reeling these people in and his characters are so fully realized that you almost forget that he's doing a character because they're so believable and it's it's just the smartest satire, um, and it just makes me laugh so hard. It's like three or four of my favorite characters that he that he does are uh, Bobby Dooley, um, uh, Jay Santos. Um, I don't know why I'm naming these because people that don't listen to him. I, <laughs> I guess I'm hoping that if they do get into him, they'll go seek out these ones. Ted Bell and. Um, and there's uh oh there's a couple others that whose whose names I can't think of right now, but it is nothing makes me laugh as as hard as he does. And I just got myself a backstage pass to download some of his archives. It's like five bucks a month. And um I was like, Why have I 
not spent the money to do this nice thing for myself that brings me so much joy and it it um and now i listen to it when i'm in the car and it just it's it i think it's working better than any med i've ever i've ever taken it's just for that hour i'm like loving that's, life that's great isn't it? when there are things in life that do that better than meds or therapy yeah. like i've often found like friends are way better than all the hundreds of dollars i spent on therapy yeah and and phil was a guest uh, on the show and was a great really open open guest I'll have but to go back and yeah, see that one yeah go, go go check him out all right so um I love my younger brother, um, and I'll be a little more specific because I know you want specific details, but my younger brother just came to visit me. He was uh, sad that I wasn't able to make it out to see the family. He lives close to my parents. Um, so he came out to look after me, and he knows that I've had a hard month. So he came, he flew out, and we just had the best weekend. And one of the gifts he brought along with him for me is he made this really elaborate painting, and it's a painting of every fiction story I'd ever written all blended together in a gigantic, intricate sort of collage of all these different story elements of characters and events that had happened. Wow. And to me, I mean, besides just being an incredible piece of art, cause he's a really smart guy. The gift was that he just read everything I'd ever written. And like, oh, I almost cried just like when he handed it to me. Cause it was, um, I respect him so much and I like him a lot. And it was really touching to have that kind of attention from him. So I could see you're getting choked yeah, up yeah, just yeah. thinking about it. I mean, it sounds like he really sees you. He does, and he does. He seems to like, bizarrely enough, like it. <laughs> you know what I mean, as opposed yeah. to run away screaming. So, yeah. So that, that that's a definitely a big love recently. That's great. Um, I love the sound of a perfectly intonated guitar when you play uh, a chord halfway up the neck using most of the strings and you can just it just has a ring to it that just sounds like magic is there a particular uh song that's coming to mind first for you when you not, play that or no not really it's just uh i've sometimes had my guitars perfectly intonated and um and i just you know when every string is in tune with each other and there's just a just a beautiful it almost sounds like a chime like a yeah are you talking about an acoustic or electric guitar either one either one either one yeah Yeah. that does sound nice okay i love when my wife shows me how much she loves me and pays attention to me by recounting an inconsequential observation like i'll be playing a dumb video game like Mega Man 3 and she goes oh she doesn't play that many video games so she'll be like oh Mega Man 3 is the really good one because that's the first time they introduced the slide mechanic and then just like oh man my heart just like jumps out of my head because she pays attention to stuff she really shouldn't give a shit about but she gives a shit about me so she'll memorize all these little details about video games that have no significance in the world other than that they, they make me happy so she's a she's a doll and when she does stuff like that it, it always gets me that's awesome um i love i love how happy uh, christmas uh makes my wife I know that's kind of a simple one. No, me too. Yeah. Me too. My wife, my wife loves it, and she loves decorating. And like, yeah. I don't mind Christmas. Like, Christmas is fun, but like, she really, really gets into the seasonal things. And I like how when she uh, does our living room up with all the lights, that she can see that it genuinely um, makes me as happy as I can get. Uh, 
around Christmas. Christmas is a tough time for me, but that glow I always love. And when I tell her what a great job she did in decorating it, I love that look on her face where she knows I'm not lying. Or just saying something to make her feel better. Yeah, I can tell. Um, I love meeting and talking to strangers over cigarettes. That's the only reason I'm smoking. I started smoking this year as a 32-year-old, which is a dumb time to start smoking. But like, um, it's helped me come out of my shell and meet people who I wouldn't meet otherwise. And a lot of times I could just be walking down the street and another smoker goes by and you just have this moment of recognition of like, we're both dealing with our shit, man. <laughs> and then like, we'll have a short little conversation and it's a conversation I wouldn't have had otherwise. So it's a, I want to find a way to do that without cigarettes. But right now that's the way I'm doing it. And it's added a lot to my life. So right now, a tobacco Executive is jerking off, having just heard that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they need to put that in the ads. Yeah, they really should. Yeah, I, I have a. I shouldn't give this away, but I think I have like a good ad for a cigarette, which would be like um, a fire extinguisher, but also like a pack of cigarettes inside the fire extinguisher, and and then just say in case of emergency, break glass, because that's what <laughs> it feels like. It's like a lot of people don't. Nobody's like, I should be smoking cigarettes. It's really good for me. It's more like I just need this right now so much because everything is going crazy. And I think like I shouldn't tell them this, huh? Yeah. You should erase it. It's evil. But I think tapping into that like impulse impulsivity is the mm-hmm. key to get people to smoke cigarettes. I have a date picked out that I should quit. So I hope I can do it. Yeah. I love when a television show or a movie is unafraid to give the main character, the protagonist, flaws that almost make them hateable. Do you have one in mind in particular that you even enjoyed? Uh, Breaking Bad. Oh, yes. Okay. My dad looks exactly like Walter White. Does he really? He's got like a bald head and he's got a goatee and he's really smart at science. My dad's like a really smart, like I'm, I went more the artistic route, but he's got like a really sharp brain for math and science. And he would like explain chemistry and science stuff to me growing up. But, um, yeah, there's, he's got like little feminine pink sweaters, just like yeah. Walter White does. And he has some, some dark side, just like Walter White. He doesn't cook meth or kill people, yeah. but uh, I could t- that that show was definitely special to me because it helped me understand a little bit more. Also, you, I, I just wanted to ask you a, a question. You grew up poor, but now your mom has so many expensive cars. She's having trouble moving them. What? What? what was I wouldn't the say we were poor. We were just in government housing, which I is see. not quite not quite the same. But we were never like we were definitely like the lowest middle class rung. But see. they've they've become very successful in the okay. past. Uh, They've both retired from their original jobs. My dad's out of the military and he does civilian stuff. And they've both done very well for themselves over the last like five or six years. Okay, so making that successful. civilian money once, yeah, you, exactly. once you get out. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, your turn? Yeah. Um, okay, let's see. My next love is... Um, okay, I have really low self-esteem, so I hope I can get away with saying this, but... I love being surprised by my abilities as a writer. That's like one of the only things I'm not ashamed of about myself. Um, I think I'm pretty good at it. So I love when I work really hard on something and then it turns out better than I wanted it to be. Um, then it makes me feel like it's worth me being around. I know there are more, probably more reasons if I weren't so hard on myself, but that's the one of the only times I can actually see it. Uh, I love the feeling of self-care when uh, I take a a bath in Epsom salts and I realize that 
I needed it and my muscles feel better uh, afterwards and I feel the magnesium helps me feel relaxed and I feel like I did exactly what I was supposed to do to take care of myself that day. I need to do that. I've never tried Epsom salts, but I lo- I'm, I'm such a lady. I love baths. I'll put on candles, oh, the whole should. fucking deal. Yeah. You should. And they have, st- <laughs> they have Epsom salts that has lavender and all other kinds of um, soothing smells. So it's, uh, yeah, it's the magnesium can really, really help you uh, relax. And, you know, just the fact that it's, it's hot water. It's just a really nice thing to do for yourself, especially in the winter. I'm, I'm going to jump on that train yeah. then tomorrow. I'll take my first Good. one. Email me. Let me know. <laughs> let me know how it goes. Um, so this is my last uh, okay. love that I have written down. This one is basically, um, it's a memory, but I love this memory. Um, I was, uh, I think in ninth grade and I was reading the book 1984 and I hadn't been assigned it. I think that's the key to loving that book is not getting assigned it in school mm-hmm. because then it just kind of like the teachers feel like the government in 1984. So like Mm -hmm. you don't want that oppressive atmosphere, but just finding that, finding that book on your own is great. But I had gotten so into the book that, um, I, my parents took us to the movies and I didn't want to watch the movie. I'd rather be reading the book. And it was nearing the end, um, when Winston Smith, like get, does the big confrontation with the government. Um, but I couldn't stop reading it. So when the movie came on, um, and the, like, it started playing on the screen. I noticed that there was enough light bouncing back off the screen in my direction to be able to read the book. If I turned backwards. So I turned backwards and faced the rest of the audience and held the book up and read the rest of 1984 instead of watching the movie we'd bought to see. I love that memory because that book was so important to me. And it also reminds me of like, it's okay to make choices to feel alive you know, and, uh, even if they seem like unconventional or embarrassing, like, and especially for me, books saved me. I felt like, uh, so many of my ideas and comfort have come from books. So if I, if I had any advice to give, I know I'm not really, yeah. No, we want to, uh, is eat the books, kids, just like take as many of you, as many as you can and just like ingest them because that's most of the reason the way I, I've been able to get through. So, Yeah. Well, that's a great one to to end on. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your life. And again, I'm just blown away by how resilient your your spirit is. And uh, I know this episode is going to really help a lot of people. And at the very least, if they can't relate to any part of it, it's a compelling uh, listen. Well, um, it made me feel better to come talk to you. So thank you, Paul. Thanks for the opportunity. You're welcome. I really enjoyed that uh, that conversation. Um, I want to remind you guys, before we get to uh, some of the surveys, a couple of different ways you can support the website if you choose. Um, you can go to uh, the website mentalpod.com. You can make either a one-time PayPal donation or my favorite, a recurring monthly donation for as little as five bucks a month. Once you set it up, you don't have to do anything until you decide to cancel, should you decide to cancel, or um which we hope you don't, or your credit card expires. It's super simple. And um, you can also shop at Amazon through our search portal. We get a couple nickels. doesn't cost you anything. You can um, buy a coffee mug. You can buy a T-shirt. We now have women's uh, T-shirts. And you can also uh, buy some some coffee uh, through there. Uh, through our, our website, there's a co-op that does uh, some, some coffee for us. Um, what else did I want to tell you? 
Oh, you know, there there was a, a uh, an interesting... Oh, you can also support us um, non-financially by going to iTunes, writing something nice, giving us a good rating, or spreading the word through social media. Those greatly help. And you can uh, go vote for um, the podcast if you if you feel like it at uh, for the Stitcher Award. Uh, and that website, again, is stitcher.promotw. I don't know what TW stands for. Uh, .com. Um, I somebody asked at a support group. They they um, posed a question: What character defect of yours do you cling to most? And I thought about it, and like you know, fifty were going through my mind. I'm, you know, I can be manipulative. I can be um, narcissistic, self-absorbed, um, uh, you know, fearful, resentful, angry, vindictive. And I think the, the the character defect that is really at the heart of almost all of them is escaping. Um, because I don't even have to leave the room to escape. Um, I can do it in fantasy. I can do it by avoiding responsibility, by not doing anything. And it's such an easy one to do, and it permeates so much of my life. And I think the reason why that, that was on the tip of my my uh, my brain at that moment is the, the, the holidays can be really kind of depressing for me. And uh, we bought a, a Wii, and I think I shared with you that I've been playing these uh, sniper games, and I just got an even better one called Elite Sniper. And I just love the fact that I'm not only escaping and isolating in a video with a video game, I'm isolating within the video game, having a character who is a loner that uh, that wants to shoot people. And uh, I don't know, it was just, uh, I've been playing a lot of it lately, and there's something kind of oddly comforting about it, because I like, I like just using that, um, using your wits to survive in something that doesn't have anything at stake. You know, if I get shot, I just restart the game. Wouldn't it be nice if we could press a reset button on our lives? Actually, probably wouldn't. Everything's probably good as it is. Anyway, let's get to some surveys. Enough of my yakking. This is from the... Um, and please uh, take the survey, Awful Some Moments. Uh, hardly anybody is taking that one. And it when somebody comes up with a good Awful Some Moment... Uh, it makes me so happy. And uh, awful some moment is a moment that was kind of awful, but had something kind of f- awesomely funny or ironic um, to it as well. Something that made you want to laugh and cry at the same time. Uh, this is from the hospitaliza- being hospitalized uh, survey. And this was filled out by a woman who calls herself Dismantle Repair. She's straight. She is... Uh, between 18 and 19. I don't know why I have that age gap in there between, because I want to find all the 18 and a half year olds. Um, She is straight, although I don't think sexuality factors into this survey. Um, Why were you hospitalized? In the height of my depression, I lost sight of the one thing keeping me alive, love for my younger brother and sister. It wasn't enough anymore, and cutting wasn't enough enough pain to cover the pain. I attempted overdose on various prescription anxiety medications. Um, Describe your experience, and did it help? The experience I had in the psychiatric ER was traumatic. The actual stay in the hospital I was admitted to was not traumatic, but the initial ER experience left me with extreme separation anxiety once I was released. 
It was the simple fact that I was not allowed to say goodbye to my parents. I was in the 11th grade. It was late and eventually they had to return home to my younger siblings. The nurse gave me the phone and my mom was on the other side saying they had to leave apparently due to, uh, to security reasons. I could not say goodbye face to face. I was scared, felt like I was being left. Once released about a week later, I would get panic attacks about that moment, would cry for weeks after whenever my mom would try to leave the room. The actual stay as an inpatient in the hospital I was transferred to was almost peaceful, boring, scheduled, controlled. I didn't have to worry about hurting myself. Once I got around the trauma uh, of the ER, the actual hospitalization thing felt, in a word, safe. The world was scarier once I was released. Leaving that controlled environment was almost shocking. This, combined with the separation anxiety made the hospitalization almost counterproductive. There were many times in the next year that my therapist wanted to send me to the hospital but decided that it would not be of help to me. But one thing it did help with was learning the worth of my life in the eyes of other people. Seeing my dad cry, I was reminded of what my death would do to the people I care about. Thank you for that. I hope you're, uh, I hope you're doing well. This is uh, from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Roy. He is straight in his 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, but he has been physically and emotionally abused. Uh, He writes, I am adopted. I grew up with my mom telling me I was supposed to be aborted and that she saved me, so I better respect her. She sounds like a great lady. Uh, She was also a very abusive person, uh, not just with her words, but physically as well. She would hit us kids with anything. Um, Did you ever have any positive experiences with the abuser? Since I am adopted, I have abandonment issues. As she hit... as I got, as she got older and after my dad passed away, she needed me and I felt she would never leave me, so I'm torn. Do I help or not, you know? Um... Deepest, darkest thoughts, I want to have sex with young girls from 10 to 14 years of age. Deepest, darkest secrets, even though I am happily married, I have sex with prostitutes on a weekly basis. I'm also addicted to my pain meds. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you, having sex with a lot of 10 to 14-year-old girls, one right after another. Um, What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would tell my mom I forgive her. She was abused herself growing up. Uh, What, if anything, do you wish for? Death. Have you shared these things with others? No, it makes me sick that I think them. Uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? Sick to my stomach. Um, And then he writes, uh, please read this on your podcast so people like me don't feel alone. And that broke my heart when I read that because um, your thoughts are your thoughts. Um, You know, you, you might want to go see... Um, get some help for the addiction to the pain meds and the um, seeing the prostitutes on a weekly basis because the both of those sounds sound like like addictions and um, there's help for that those, those things those are uh, you know addictions don't make us um, bad people they they make us sick people if if left untreated and you're not a bad person you're just a person um, who needs to heal and needs to, to ask for some help and I'm sending you a big big, warm, loving hug. And I hope anybody who relates to to your survey feels less alone from, from hearing that. Um, this is from the Body Shame survey uh, filled out by a guy who calls himself It Hurts. 
And what do you like or dislike about your body? He writes, I like my face. I think it's rather good looking. I hate my gut. Stretch marks make me sad, and I have a whole lot. Oh, did I mention I'm fat? And not good in the penis department. By the way, you always want to make sure that you get somebody to wait on you when you're in the penis department. Because, uh, actually, I like to go to the penis department where you have to take a number. And then if somebody tries to get ahead of you, you say, uh, I think my penis was next. Those may have been funny or the worst jokes ever. I'm not really sure which. Probably somewhere in between. Uh, this is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Blackbird. She is uh, asexual. She writes, I used to love sex, but this marriage has made me feel ugly. I'm not sure I'll be comfortable enough for sex with anyone ever again. Uh, I'm in my 40s. Uh, she was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, but has been emotionally abused. I think my mother is a narcissist. She's controlling, doesn't respect boundaries, and makes everything all about her. My husband is also controlling and egocentric. From both, I've been told that I'm always to blame. Neither one has ever apologized for anything ever. They gaslight. They attempt to manipulate. I no longer talk to my mother, and I'm in the process of trying to establish boundaries with a husband and move towards divorce. My husband had sex with me five times in eight years of marriage. He tells me I'm unattractive and that he wishes he never married me, yet he seems reluctant to get a divorce. I think it's because he knows he will lose control over me if we divorce. Do you have any positive experiences with your abuser? My husband can turn on the charm when he wants to. Everyone else in my, my life thinks he's perfect. They've never witnessed the verbal abuse. Um, deepest, darkest thoughts? I have two children and I love them. However, right now I feel trapped. I fantasize about walking out the door and being by myself for a few months. I can't do that though. It wouldn't be fair to the kids, but I daydream about it nonetheless. Deepest, darkest secrets. I have suffered from depression and eating disorders since I was 13 years old. I think I might have borderline personality disorder since I fit the descriptions I read online. But I do not want to have anything officially diagnosed because I do not want to have anything in writing that my husband can use against me if we were to get, uh, if we were to get in a nasty divorce proceeding. I'm a good mother in spite of my faults. I do yell at the kids sometimes, but I always apologize and tell them it's my fault for yelling and not theirs. That's that's beautiful. I think I think that that is, um, I think that's human and realistic and awesome. That that you your kids can see that it's okay to make mistakes as long as you clean up your mess. So, um, she writes, I, I never hit them, and they seem like happy, normal kids. And I don't think they should be taken from me. If I were to get help um, for my mental issues, then they would then that would leave a record that he might try to use. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I fantasize uh, about being a man having sex with a willing woman. I also fantasize about being in a loving sexual relationship with a nice, kind man. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? Uh, she writes, I'm going to, I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to survive with the mental illness I was apparently born with. It's not my fault. Please don't judge me. I'd like to say all that because I'd like to reach out and get help. I cannot risk losing my children, uh, though I'm a good mother. I take out my issues on myself uh, when they are not around, never on them. Um, I, you know, I've got to think that, that um, 
you know, can't you can't you go get therapy or go to a support group or do something without without them knowing? You know, I would think, you know, a, a parent who is in therapy to me, if I were a judge, I would say that's the one that the kid should go with because that person clearly is trying to better themselves. Um, what if anything do you wish for? A decent therapist who wants to honestly help and not just feed his own ego and bank account. Also a divorce and as little contact as possible with my ex. Um, it sounds like you had a bad experience with uh, with the therapist and if that's the case, I'd encourage you to find another one because there are great ones out there. Have you shared these things with others? No, have already explained why I cannot share. How do you feel after writing these things down? Better, glad you're here, thank you. Um, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Hang in there. Do your best to set boundaries between you and the toxic people in your life. Forgive yourself and carry on as best you can. Try not to let the issues affect your kids. I say all this, but I might be dead from an eating disorder one of these months because I cannot completely stop on my own, so I'm not sure anyone would really listen to what I have to say. I'm not exactly the picture of success. I think a... Um, program for eating disorder, um, a food program, I think would be a great place for you to go. And um, yeah, nobody has to know that you're going there. And I think you'd find a lot of support and answers for what you're going through. Um, Anyway, sending you a big hug. This is from uh, the Happy Moment survey filled out by a, a person who calls themselves a dog mom. And her happy moment is when 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 we adopted our first dog as a couple, he was at the pound, and when he was available for adoption, another family was there to adopt him as well. They did a drawing as to who would get to adopt him, and I couldn't look at my number. Seeing their faces when they read the number brought such an emotional response to me. I actually cried. He was our dog, our first dog, and the best dog we ever had since. That was 16 years and seven dogs later. That's awesome. There's nothing, nothing moves me like, like dogs. They're just, oh, I don't know what I'd do without my dogs. Um, this is from the hospitalization survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Music V. She is uh, gay in her 40s, and uh, both she and her sister were hospitalized. Uh, she writes, me for a suicide attempt, my sister is bipolar and was very depressed and needed to have her meds and herself regulated. Um, did uh, did your experiences help? And she writes, definitely helped. I saw people that have much tougher issues than me and realize that I'm lucky and have a lot to live for. Thank you for that. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Chris74. He is straight in his 30s, raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Has also been physically and emotionally abused. Uh, He writes, I used drugs in the 90s. I was in and out of jail for minor offenses and was beaten in jail. I was also robbed in the streets several times. Um, Any positive experiences with your abusers? No. Deepest, darkest thoughts. I think about killing myself several times a week. There are worse thoughts uh, that I just can't get myself to write. Deepest, darkest secrets? Said incarceration, uh, having been molested, it gets worse than this. I just can't write at all. Um, Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Having sex with married women, it makes me feel creepy. 
What, if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? My parents, that I'm sorry and that I love them. I can't because they are dead. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish to get rid of this crippling anxiety and depression. I haven't worked in three months because I was fired from my job. I am in uh, a deep, dark, murky abyss. I have severe body aches, diarrhea, and fatigue. Medication doesn't help. I've tried it all. I would try therapy, but have no fucking benefits. I wish I would die, but I don't have the balls to do it myself. Um, I encourage you to try calling... 211 from a landline and find out if there are any free or low-cost mental health services in your area. And um, if that doesn't work, try Googling low-fee therapy and the name of your town or city. And most people I know um, who put some effort into trying to find free or low-cost therapy usually come across something. So, And I know it's hard when you're in that rut. And so I'm, I'm I really, I feel for you, and I'm I'm really hoping that you you can summon the the energy and the courage to uh, to reach out and and try to find that affordable help. This is from the Happy Moment Survey, filled out by a um, person who calls themselves uh, Chiba City Blues One Forty One. And they write, when I was a year and a half clean and facing the wreckage of the past that got me clean in the first place, I was happy to be sentenced to only seven uh, months. Another notable happy moment was when I had to face a probation violation during the same period of incarceration. And instead of serving the full five years of my backup time, I only had to serve another five months after my first seven were up. I served a year and 10 days total between two counties for dealing drugs. I'm happy because I was able to stay clean and practice the principles of recovery I had learned, regardless of my circumstances. Whenever I get bogged down, I have to remind myself that I should still be in prison or dead. I love the bittersweet happy moments. I love them because they're happy, but they're also kind of realistic that that life isn't uh, all uh, gladiolas. Oh, hold on. Our, our, our theme song's kicking in too early. Sorry about that. Um, this is from the Shame and Secret survey, filled out by a guy who calls himself Honest Failure. He is straight in his 40s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. He writes, it was also stable and safe, but devoid of any sharing of emotions apart from disapproval. I wouldn't call that stable and safe. You know, I think just because we're not being beaten um, doesn't mean that something is safe. I think safe should include uh, a place where you can express emotions honestly and be seen and felt and heard and not negated. Uh, He's never been sexually abused. Um, Not sure if he's been physically or verbally abused um, or, or emotionally abused. He writes, I've got this weird relationship with my parents. I don't know if it was emotional abuse or if I'm just completely, um, if I'm just emotionally sensitive, but I quite easily become emotionally wrecked and my parents could make me feel like crap pretty easily. Um, Any positive experiences with your abusers? They lent me money to buy a car and I still feel indebted to them for that even though I paid it off. I feel like I should pay them interest as well. That doesn't make any sense to me. You know, unless that was the deal they had with you up front. Uh, it sounds like they probably 
have an easy time uh, guilting you. But, you know, we also got to remember that we, nobody makes us feel certain things. You know, we have a part in, in, in what we feel. Um, deepest, darkest thoughts. If my wife and kids are out, I'll imagine they've been in a fatal car accident and I build myself a small shelter on a bicycle trail and live in that. Deepest, darkest secrets. Even though I never tell her, I do think my wife is overweight. She's still beautiful, but she is also very overweight. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I just want to be with one person who would like to have sex with me as often as I'd like to have it with them. I feel ashamed to share it, like I have outed my partner and like I have just put a big sign on my head saying, really shit in bed. You know, my thought is that 99.9% of the people whose partners aren't having sex with them as it has very little to do with the partner. It, it, it has very little to do with the person who's being rejected. That usually it's some type of fear of, of intimacy on the part of the person who's turning the sex down. Um, that's, my, that's my two cents on that. Actually, with inflation, that's now three cents. That might have been a great joke or a horrible joke. I'm not sure. I'm going to get some grant money and find out. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? I'd really like to publicly tell the pastor of the church I used to attend to fuck off and or get fucked. He told me to leave the church, and I did, then told everyone I left to go to another church, which I didn't. It'd be great to say this in front of the congregation, because after more than a decade of service, no one asked how I was going uh, or where how I, was, oh, how I was doing or where I'd gone. Get a lot of typos on these. Uh, I think it might be people on their phones typing with their phones. Um, what, if anything, do you wish for? A steady income that pays the mortgage on my house in our shitty suburb. Pays the kids' school expenses, lets us have an annual camping holiday, and means my wife doesn't have to work full-time. Have you ever shared these things with others? Some, never all at once. How do you feel after writing these down? Good, but I wonder if this is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, I don't think the iceberg ever ends. I think that's kind of... I, I haven't met any person who's like a spiritual seeker or trying to better themselves emotionally that ever reaches any kind of finish line, ever. Um, is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I don't know. I'd like to say there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I think there's more of a chance it's another messed up guy like me <laughs> holding a torch. That's awesome. And then any comments to make the podcast better? He writes, not right now. I've been devouring about one podcast every couple of days for the last three months, so still yet to catch up. Lots of things have changed. But Paul, please don't stop telling survey respondents to go fuck yourself. It's beautiful because I know you mean the exact opposite. I'm even getting teary imagining you might read this and say that to this survey. That is so sweet. That is so sweet. And you know what's coming next. Go fuck yourself. This is the last one, and it's from the Happy Moment Survey. And this is filled out by Sarah C. And she writes, I was spending the summer in Vermont and had this realization that I actually was happy. I was standing on top of a cliff about 20 feet over water with friends. I somehow had become close to uh, in the month or two we spent together. 
I was holding hands with a friend, laughing and shaking a little, preparing to jump. In that moment, I realized I was happy, and the difference was that I let myself continue to be happy. Up until then, the moment I realized I was happy, I'd shut it down in fear of bad things happening next. That's awesome. Well, happy new year to you guys, and thank you so much um, for helping helping start another another year of this this really cool community we're we're building together. And thanks to the sponsors for um, helping us get a little more financial stability and the monthly donors and the transcribers and all you guys god bless you and um i hope it's a i hope the, the holidays didn't wear your soul down to a to a pulp and um if you're out there and you're feeling stuck just remember you're not alone and there is hope if you're willing to ask for help and thanks for listening Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.